morning we are going to run through the whole book of Hosea. Uh, now there are 14 chapters and I will pick out the main uh, themes and uh, we will study together and meditate together. And the title that I've kept for today's message is Never Ending Love, the Love Story in Hosea. Never Ending Love, the Love Story in Hosea. The book of Hosea is a love story which is uh, real, uh, tragic, and true. It is a powerful love story, but a painful love story. It's a very powerful one, but very pain painful one. Uh, this is a love story of a faithful partner to an unfaithful wife. And uh, this book dramatically portrays our God's constant and persistent love. Structured around the cycles of judgment and restoration, the book of Hosea makes clear its repetitive theme. Though God will bring judgment on sin, he will always bring his people back to himself. Hosea is placed in the beginning uh, of the section of the minor prophets and minor prophets they're called as minor prophets because of the size of the book and not because minor in message and we all know there are 12 minor prophets Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Abakuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi and these prophets in the Bible presented God to the people and were mouthpieces for God you know, they, they received from God and they began to share what God shared with them. God was able to share their heart with them. They fellowship with God and carried his word as they received from God. They began to share the word. First time I'm preaching from the minor prophets and I don't uh, ever remember hearing a sermon from the minor prophets as a book as a whole. So I've gone through a lot of uh, uh, what to say, uh, challenges uh, trying to prepare this message and I pray and I pray that this will be a blessing to all of us. And through the family life of Hosea, God reveals the actual relationship of a faithful God and an unfaithful nation. Hosea and his family became an object lesson and in fact a parable to the nation of Israel to convey the message and the magnanimity of God's word. And when we read the Minor Prophets, we will be shocked to note and also to ask the question, how did they know? That is, the prophets at that time know what is happening now. Because the condition of the human heart has not changed. The message then is a message even now because the condition remains the same. The history of the nation of Israel, God had a covenant relationship with Israel after bringing them out from Egyptian bondage. And God made covenant with different people. He made covenant with Abraham, Adam, then Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then he has made a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. And to the nation of Israel, God was their king. And later, they wanted a king, and God gave them Saul. And later, David became the king, then his son Solomon, and then Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And David was a king over all the 12 tribes of Israel. And he handed the kingship to Solomon. And uh, you know, Solomon began to live a very extravagant life. He lived a very evil life. You know, he had about 
uh, many, many wives, 300 wives and 600 concubines. And it was a lavish lifestyle. He lived the food and the ate. The, the, everything was lavish about him. To, to manage that lavish lifestyle, he had to tax the people. And the taxes were very, very heavy. And after Solomon died, Rehoboam uh, became the king, his son. And uh, Jeroboam came to Rehoboam and told him, can you please reduce the taxes which your father uh, levied on us? And Rehoboam refused to do it. And uh, Jeroboam with 10 tribes, he went from the northern kingdom and called it as Israel with Samaria as capital. And uh, Judah was called the southern kingdom with two uh, tribes with Jerusalem as capital. So we had Jeroboam in the northern kingdom and then we have you can see the map, and then Judah in the southern kingdom. For uh, uh, northern kingdom in Israel, Samaria was the capital, and uh, uh, then in the southern kingdom, Jerusalem was the capital. And then you go further, that uh, Hosea was prophesied in the days of the kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Ezekiah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So in the northern kingdom, there was uh, Jeroboam, uh, the son of Josh was the king. And uh, in the southern kingdom, there were, he prophesied during the four different, uh, uh, different kings. But he was primarily a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, he prophesied for a long time. His ministry was quite a long time. And uh, Hosea prophesied to the northern kingdom. And uh, it was also called as Ephraim or Jacob sometimes. This northern kingdom prospered during the reign of Jeroboam II. They were really prosperous. They had plenty. Everything was plenty. God blessed them in his mercy. But they were different. And uh, now the whole book can be divided into three parts. The main story. You uh, can see the slide. The main story. In short, chapters 1 and 3 tells the main story. Then explanation of the main story, chapters 4 to 13. And then call to repentance, reconciliation and restoration, chapter 14. However, for this morning message, I want to present with a little change. Three important points I wanted to present to you today from the book of Hosea. The first one is Hosea's wayward wife and wayward people. Hosea's wayward wife and wayward people. Second, Hosea's willing submission. And third, God's wondrous love. Hosea's wayward wife. Let's go into that first. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Heaz, and Ezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. I told you, Hosea ministered for a long time. And it is nearly 24 years. And this book of Hosea is almost all poetry with a little bit of prose. He was consistent for a long period of time doing the prophetical ministry. And in chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible tells us, uh, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. 
He said, go take God and Hosea to marry Gomer. And uh, she was a lady, a girl or a woman of uh, irrepute, whether in harlot or a prostitute before a marriage or after a marriage, we don't know. But she was a woman of loose character and she became a woman of sens sensuality and uh, she lived an evil life. But the Bible says God told him, go take a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. God wanted Hosea to marry Gomer, a prostitute, and he obeys. Now the question is, how can God order a prophet to marry a person of loose character is a big question. It's a big question. And no one is able to give a satisfactory answer. But definitely when God tells something, God will never overstep his character. Maybe we have to really do a research to understand more on this, but we will not go into that now. God wants his, servants, his servant to convey his through his family an important truth to the wayward Israel, Israelites. God wanted Hosea to model his love for the people by marrying someone who is a prostitute. His marriage to Gomer is a prophetic symbol of God's relationship with Israel. God gives a reason in verse 2 why he wanted her, him to marry a prostitute. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. He gives the reason why. Through this marriage, God wanted Hosea to see the broken heart of God and preach with passion the message of God's broken heart. The Israelites have gone away from God. And uh, through the wayward wife of Hosea, God wanted to convey an important truth. Gomer bears three children, and God asked Hosea to name them. First son, as Zezreel. He will avenge the bloodshed of Zezreel. Also means scattering of the people. You know, the, the quotations are given, uh, the, the story you can read in Second Kings, chapter 9 and chapter 10, uh, especially chapter 9, 25 to 26, and chapter 10, verse 11. And uh, Jehu shed blood, and God has not forgotten that. God said, I will avenge that shedding of blood. And this gives us an important point to remember. Never think of a hatred for people, and the evil we do to people will go unnoticed. God is the one who knows who watches and knows it. So first son, he said, name him as Zezreel. He wants to remind the house of Jehu. He wants to remind Jeroboam and his uh, following dynasties that God will avenge the blood. Second, a daughter, he said, name it as Lord Ruhama. I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. That is the meaning. I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. God is so upset. God is so hurt. He said, oh, Hosea, name your second child this. Through this, I want to convey to the people, I will have no mercy on them. Then after some time, third, a son is born again, lo am I, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. That is the meaning. God comes to a place where he says, no more. I can't bear you anymore. And I can't bear what you're doing anymore. And you're not going to be my people and I'm not going to be your God. But, in, in these three children that was born, the most painful thing about the birth of 
uh, birth of children to Gomer is an indica indication within the scriptures that Hosea is not the natural father of the last two children. Very painful life Hosea had to go through. And sadly, Gomer goes into an immoral life again after marrying Hosea. She begins to live away from Hosea and in sin, exactly like a people who had forsaken their God and went into Baal worship. Having this pain in his heart because of his wayward wife, Hosea goes to preach to the wayward nation of Israel, false prophets and false teachers and priests. First, he preaches to the people. Hosea chapter 4 verses 1 to 3, we read it. Hosea chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. What is the charge or accusation? What is the accusing thing that God is bringing to the people of Israel? He tells them there is no truth or mercy or knowledge in the land. There is no truth. And then he says, by swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. With bloodshed upon bloodshed, they do this. And then God says in verse 3, that therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. In the above verses, we find that there was no truth. God is so particular that we be people of truthfulness. Mercy, to show mercy to others. People were not merciful. The rich were not merciful. The whole nation was not merciful. And also, <laughs> they did not have the knowledge of God. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint. There was no restraint. There was no self-control. And blood was shed upon blood. And God says, because of this, no truth or mercy or knowledge of God. Swearing, lying, killing and stealing. Adultery or perverted life. They break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn. The above lifestyle brought God's wrath upon them. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. A beautiful scripture. Prophet Micah says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And next slide. What And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God desires. He wants truthfulness. He wants mercy. He wants people to walk humbly with God in the way that God has ordained for them. And God had told them, what is good for them? This is good for you. But they choose to do the opposite. Hosea then turned his attention to the priests and prophets, the ones responsible for teaching moral standards to the people. And in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, 
the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night and i will destroy your mother mother meaning the national leaders and verse 6 my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge i also will reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your god i also will forget your children and here you find uh, there is no truth there is no mercy there is no kindness there is no knowledge of god and he says you have forgotten the law of your god and i will also forget your children this knowledge is not a cognitive knowledge where people can understand and know something in their head, but a practical response to what they know. An intimate relationship that helps us to know the heart of God and make us respond to his love. The situation parallels many believers today in almost all the churches with all manner of people today serving God saying, yes, we are serving God throughout the world and yet really don't serve him. Indeed, don't even know him personally, rejecting his holy laws. Here we find the knowledge of God is not given importance. It is rejected and forgotten. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 12, he says, I've written to you great things from my law, but they are considered a strange thing. Imagine. God says, I've written to you great things, great things, things that are good for you and me, things that can really bless us, benefit us and lead us and build us. But we think it as strange. Those people considered that as strange. You know, what a contrast. Hosea received an instruction from God to marry a prostitute and it was strange, but he obeyed. The people received instructions from God, but they considered it strange and disobeyed. What a difference between a man who wants to follow God and a person who does not want to follow God. If the words of God are strange to you and me, if we give scant respect, it's going to be really terrible. Sad to see today many, many useless teachings compared to some of the best scholars who have given their life to study God's word, to meditate, to study, to dig, to research, to explain to the world about God's word. During my, during my hospitalization, one of the best things that I can really uh, say for the glory of God is I was able to really take time to study, listen to messages, study in the hospital uh, bed, and as I saw, I saw two different groups. One is a seven-star food that has been served. The other one is a really a very, very low level of food that has been served. That's what is happening in the Christian world today. And we, the believers, we, the church, if we can really take time to study the word, understand the word, take some time to research and know the word, I'll tell you, we will be able to reject what is wrong and hold on to what is right. And there are many controversial teachings. And not only that, they like to be one above the other. One person says something controversial, someone wants to say better than others. Okay, leave that alone. Once Billy Graham was asked, what is one thing he would do differently if he lives again in this world? And Billy Graham replied, 
I will study more of God's word and preach less. He said, I've been very busy preaching. I had taken very less time to comparatively to study and prepare, but I would study more and preach less. And then God addresses the spiritual sinfulness of his people. Hosea 4 verses 10 to 14. For they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry and not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. And then he goes on to tell about the harlotry of people. You can read that from 11 to 14. Harlotry, wine, new wine, enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols and their staff informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray and they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars and therabins because their shade is good. Because their shade is good. Therefore your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit harlotry. I will not punish your daughters when they commit the sin, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices to the ritual, ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. God says, it's not I who is going to punish them for their sin. But they will be trampled by an enemy. The people whom they are going to commit harlotry with, they will take care doing what only they can do. They turn to false religion, following worthless popular custom rather than worshipping the God he intended. And they become enslaved to habits and addictions, including alcohol, drug and sexual addictions. Hosea 4 and verse 11, harlotry, wine and new wine enslave the heart. My dear brother, my dear sister, this condition, what we see is nothing new. There was violence and bloodshed. No knowledge or teaching of God's word with false teachers and prophets spreading the wrong teachings. There was spiritual adultery going after false gods. And they were enslaved to alcohol, drug and sex. They totally forgot their God. They were so wealthy. They were prosperous. They had a lot of money with them. But they forgot their God. The country prospered financially and they began to think Baal, a fertility god of the Assyrians, was the cause of their blessings. And they began to want, they began to desire more blessings. So they went more into sin, thinking that if they could live in like this, then Baal will bless them. Just imagine you help someone to come up in life, but they turn in front of you and say, Someone else is the cause of blessing them. It will break your heart. Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 to 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. You can go to that slide. But let the one who boasts Boast about this, that they have an understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. The next slide, please. Let the one who boasts about this, that they... The next slide. This is what the Lord... But let, uh, verse 24. Let 
the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, <coughs> justice, righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. Hosea, also, uh, Jeremiah also mentioned the same message that all the other prophets mentioned. God wanted them to know him personally. Later, God allowed the Assyrians to invade the nation of Israel and take them captives and scatter them all over the nation and the other nations and the nation perish. First, God warned them. God warned them of their wayward life and was asking them to turn and to come back. But they did not. They, they, they did what they wanted. And then finally, they had to go into exile. The people to whom Hosea preached and pleaded were not heathens like the people of Nineveh, but God's people. Today, we can say it is coming to the church. It is not only then, but also even now in many churches and individual lives, financial prosperity is a dangerous trap the devil lays to pull us away from God. Pastors and prophets and preachers also teaching wrong doctrines and wrong teaching. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, God told them, you have sown the wind and you will reap the whirlwind. There was a man who bought a barometer uh, to measure the atmospheric pressure. And further the barometer pressure drops, the more intense the storm will be. One day he took the barometer to see what's going to be the atmospheric pressure. It was at the lowest. He saw the window out, so he saw open the window and saw it was sunny and bright. He said, how can today be a storm? So he got upset with the barometer and he threw the barometer out saying, this is not working. And he went out for some sports sporting event. He came after one day to his home. His house was blown away because there was a storm and wind came. The storm came and blew his house away. My dear brother, my dear sister, things may look very nice for you and me. We may be living in sin. We can live a compromising life. We can reject the knowledge of God, not searching for God's word, not taking time to involve ourselves in the things that God wants us to involve. Your conscience and my conscience will tell us what God has laid upon our heart. Things may look very nice and smooth, but God is saying, if you reject me, you're sowing the wind and you will reap the whirlwind. We don't know. Everything may look nice, but we have to face it. And do we see any parallels today? There's so much violence and bloodshed. No knowledge or teaching of God's word with false teachers spreading false teaching. Spiritual adultery, compromising in this world. Enslaved, people are getting enslaved to alcohol, drug, and sex. In the midst of all this, Hosea stands as a beautiful example. It really encourages. When, when I was reading the book of Hosea, I said, Lord, in the midst of so much of evil, so much of immorality, you know, one preacher Charles Swindle, Dr. Charles Swindle said that when God was talking about in, uh, through Prophet Hosea 
about the brides, newborn, new brides going into adulterous life, daughters going into adultery, daughters going to harlotry. When he was talking about that, he said the men went to brothels and there they were finding their own wives and daughters and sisters there. Such evil was taking place there. But in the midst of all such evil, there was one man who was willing to submit to God. The second one, we will see the willing submission of Hosea. The wayward wife and the wayward people, now the willing submission of Hosea. In the midst of disobedience and evil, here God is, makes his man to stand as a symbol of obedience and submission. When I pray, I pray, Lord, let my life be like Hosea, submissive, obedient, even if I don't understand. Help me to submit to what you say. If I know that you're saying it, help me to submit. Two things that really battles me about Hosea. One is his obedience, and second one is love for God and his love for his wayward wife. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible tells us, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, he told him, go take a prostitute as your wife and have children of adultery. First time instruction itself is very painful. Can we go to the next slide, please? First, first time instruction itself is very painful. But he tells something more. Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go show love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and offer raisin cakes to idols. And then Hosea says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. <clears throat> really, it should baffle you and me. First time when God told him to marry and second time is when God tells him to go pay the price and bring her back to you from the brothel and lover. He goes to the brothel, strikes a deal with the brothel keeper to release his own wife and he is also willing to pay the price. Both the time Hosea obeys is willing to be part of God's plan for the nation. He is willing to believe in the larger purposes of God and willing to submit himself to God. Can you, and I imagine, Hosea going to the streets to preach about God's love and God's judgment about, against sin, but the people mock at him, sneer at him, and tell him, go first, preach to your wife and change her. He's preaching on the streets. I'm sure many people would have come and told him, go first, tell your wife, change her, don't come and tell us. They would have mocked at him. And some people would have told him, your wife is now in that lodge with that man. Go there and tell her to change. Hosea goes to the market. Imagine Hosea goes to the market to buy food for his children because wife is not there. And people talk in hushed tones saying his wife has gone to live in prostitution and he's taking care of the children. Or someone would even go to that extent. Sorry for using that language because this is how the story goes. 
Someone would have even said, I have slept with his wife. And they would have also mentioned some names and said, all these people have slept with her. Look at, think of the heart of Hosea, how broken you would have been. He preached to others, but his wife was living in sin. His children go to school and other students mock them and say, your mother is a dirty woman or bad woman. And Hosea's children come crying, asking, why is mommy like this? Nobody is playing with us or talking to us because some parents would have even told their children, don't talk to Zezreel, Lohama and Lohamai. They are children of a bad family. Don't talk to them. Mother is evil. I'm sure we can understand the heart of Hosea when his children ask him, why daddy you're cooking and mommy is not there to cook for us? Why she can't put us to sleep? Why she's not there to tell us bedtime stories? His heart must be bleeding through all this. And as he weeps in silence, he is able to understand the heart of God better. In the midst of pain he was going through, he never realized his ministry had such profound effect for generations to come which had a far-reaching consequences and his prophecy will be fulfilled even in the life of Christ. Amazing. A prophet whose heart is bleeding, submitted to God in the midst of all evil and all sins. But he utters words which, prompted by the Holy Spirit, is again recorded in the New Testament. Hosea 11 and verse 1, that scripture, as he was Recollecting the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. He said, out of Egypt, I've called my son. He was speaking, if you read from 4 to 13 onwards, uh, Hosea, you will read the story that many, many old stories he was recollecting to the people to make them understand how much God loved them. And one such sentence was, out of Egypt, I've called my son. And you find that. Matthew quotes that and it is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15. And when parents took Jesus to Egypt, out of Egypt I have called my son. And again, Paul uses his prophetic words. And when he is writing about the death and resurrection, Hosea chapter 13 and verse 14, he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is in and from my eyes. The scripture Paul is able to pick up from Hosea 13, 14. And then he could use it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 35. Talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the victory of Jesus over death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. O death, where is your sting? O gay hates, where is your victory? He models Jesus Christ as the bridegroom of the church and also about a sacrificial love for the world, especially his people, the church. I told you this message of Hosea was for God's people who had forsaken God or who are compromising. And this may, message is a very apt message for every church today and for every church age because the, there's no full commitment, there's no full response to God's love. And uh, then you find that it is 
challenging for us to even think if God tells one of us of marriageable age to marry a person of immoral character and that too because he wants to convey a message through that ma marriage. We all, parents, will take enough time to find out about the character of a girl, a character of a boy before we work for our, work the marriage of our children. And we'll be very careful because that's very, very important. But here you find God telling very, uh, very knowingly, please go and marry Gomer. And, uh, and Jose obeys him. It is best to remember that when God calls us to love, serve him, or calls us to do something or give, give up something, that God is drafting us into his plan and that is the highest honor for us. God is drafting us into his plan and that is the highest honor for us. God will give us the grace to carry out the task. It will be a privilege when God shares his heart with us. It will always bring glory to God. And the Bible says in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And Hosea did that. My wife and me were watching a movie called Nothing is Lost. If you have time in Netflix, you have connection, please watch this movie. Nothing is Lost. A Christian movie. A young boy called Eder Machado. He marries and is having two children. The second child was born with a cleft lip palette, cleft palate, and um, she, he uh, kneels down in the hospital bed and say, Lord, I want to surrender myself to you totally. And from the very next day, he goes about preaching in the parks of Brazil. He goes there faithfully to preach. Few people listen. One man comes up to him and tells him, can you please come and pray for my wife? He asks, what is wrong? He said, for many, many years, my wife is demon-possessed and she's not delivered. I've done everything. So this Edir Machado, a young boy, he tells, yes, I will come. He goes in there to pray. He prays for her and she's delivered instantaneously from the demon possession. This man is so excited, so happy. He brings this young boy outside and tells him, tell me what I can do for you. He said, I don't have a place and I wanted to preach. I want to start a church. So this man helps him to find a place and they start a small, in a small place, they begin to preach. He begins to preach and minister. Finally, Edith Machado, if you read now, he's one of those world famous preachers in Brazil. He surrendered himself to God and said, Lord, I wanted to serve you. And God honors him. Hosea knew the heart of God. One of the beautiful things is that you and I can understand the heart of God if we want. And God is willing to reveal his heart to you and me. What is in his heart? There was a wayward people, wayward wife. In the midst of all this, there was a person who was willing to submit to God. And finally, the wondrous love. Wondrous love. The third one. Jeremiah 
boasts over his sorrow, nurses it, and it tells us he is weeping. The way he presented, the way he said, where it is written, it shows that he was weeping. But, but Hosea does not say he is weeping, but we can hear it in his broken utterances, you know, the heart that was painful. And he was able to convey to us how much God's heart would have been broken when his own people, whom he said, I'm married to you, have gone into evil ways. And the heart of these prophets revealed the love of God for a wayward people. In chapter 3 and verse 1, God tells Hosea, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man, is an adulteress. Verse 1, it says, lover, further he says, lover, as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I told you, Hosea goes into the brothel house. His heart is bleeding in pain. He takes the money, gives it to the brothel keeper and says, let me take my wife back. And then he brings her back. And after doing that, God tells him in verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, I brought, so I bought myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And then God commands him in verse 3, you shall stay with me, speak tenderly to her, speak to her, and said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man so too, and I will be to you. A person who truly loves someone will not only show love, but also will tell what is wrong. And God is a loving God. God is loving to forgive anyone who turns, repents from their sins and comes to him. Because of his love, we can't do anything on our own. He has loved us. He has shown that love for you and me. And if people don't turn, he has to punish them. He has to let them go to live their own ways so that they will find that that does not satisfy. And in that pain, they can turn and look to God. This is a very different, difficult uh, balance to explain. But God wants the people of Siddhya punishment for the nation's disobedience. He goes to that extent of saying, I will not show mercy and you're not my people by naming the children of Hosea, Lo Ruhama and Lo Amai. But the beauty is, God says, after the punishment and banishment, God promises to restore his people. And later, God, as he warned, he will destroy them. Let the Assyrians come and destroy them. And then in verse, in chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, he talks about, I told you chapter 1 to 3 is the shortened version of what's going to happen from 4 to 14. And uh, now I'm taking from chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, after the restoration, if the number of children of Israel will be as sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Think of it. 
that is God's law. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head and they shall come up out of land for great will be the day of Zezreel. Hosea chapter 2 verse 1, say to my brethren, my people and to your sisters, mercy is shown. This is not due to people's righteousness that God after punishment takes them back. But he talks about this restoration because of his love for the people. He says in the last days, they will be like sands of the sea. Yes, now I'm destroying them for their sins, but I will restore the nation. I will restore the people to myself and I will bless them and make them a blessing. And God will fulfill what he has planned for his people. He will punish them for his sins, but he will not forsake them forever. The punishment will be severe, but if we can repent in that punishment, the restoration will be a wonderful one. And what he told before the punishment, he said one six, he said, call her Lord Ruhama, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. And one eight, he said, call his name Lo Amai, for you're not my people and I will not be your God. This is what God said, but the amazing love of God tells in Hosea 11 and verse said, how can I give you up Ephraim and how can I hand over you Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboi? My heart churns within me. My heart sympathy is stirred. Can we understand the heart of God? Can you and I understand the heart of God as God says, how can I, my son, my daughter, give you up in the way you are? I am the God who loves you. I, can, I will punish you if you don't repent and turn to me. But if you repent and turn to me, I will not give up on you. I'm still at the back of you. I want you to come back. That's the amazing love of God. Jim Baker was a very powerful minister of God in the 80s. He had one of the flourishing ministries in the US. But he fell into disgrace. He fell into sin. He fell into misappropriation of funds and he was jailed. Nobody went to see him. Not even, not even his wife divorced him. One day somebody came and said, somebody has come to see you. He was in the jail and Jim Baker was cleaning the toilets. He was in his dirty clothes. Jim Baker looked to me to see me. No one will come to see me. He said, no, somebody has come. They want to see you. So Jim Baker was thinking, let me go change my dress and come. Then he said, no, let me humble myself. Let people see as I am. Let me go and meet this person who's come to see me. He goes in to the visitor's lounge and you are shocked to see a man standing there with a the Bible. And he was none other than Reverend Billy Graham. Billy Graham put his hand over him and said, Jim, I love you. Yes, what you did was wrong and you're going through the whirlwind now. You're reaping the whirlwind. You're punished for what you did. But if you can, come back to God. God will forgive you and restore you and use you. 
Jim Baker sir, says, with tears in his eyes, he stood there thinking, so many times, so many people I've met, I've preached. But here is one Christian man whom I can see. A man who can show love to a broken sinner. And they became close friends. And after he was discharged from the jail, he was released from the jail, he went straight to Billy Graham's house, stayed there, and Billy Graham enabled him to build his life again. My dear brother, my dear sister, Hosea chapter 13 and verse 9, you're against me. He told the people, you're against me, thy helper. He says, I am your helper, but you're against me. And in King James Version, it says, you have destroyed yourself, but in me is thine help. God considers that he is still their help if they turn. And finally, in chapter 14 and verse 4, God tells them, when they repent and come, I will heal their waywardness or their backsliding and love them freely. They need not have to do something to gain my love, but I will love them freely. All that they, I need them is to repent of their sins or they will be destroyed forever. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew of Israel. He will blossom like lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send on his roots. Then shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. My dear brother, my dear sister, we are in a challenging time now. God knows our heart. This is a message to the church. It's a message to all of us. Either we are going to be fully for God. He's going to own us. We're going to be his own fully or nothing else. For our response, I wanted to just make a few points. I want to ask this question. What is our attitude towards sin and our response to God's love? What is our attitude towards sin? What is your attitude towards sin? Do we hate it? The Bible says the righteous, the evil does not abhor, the wicked people does not abhor evil. That means the righteous people will abhor evil. Is there, an, is there a bitterness? Do we consider sin as an abomination against God? May God plant inside your heart and my heart that sin in whatever way form it is, there is no compromise. There is no, there's no uh, what is it, uh, there is no uh, excuse. And what is our response to God's love? And when we turn to him from sin, we are not turning because we are righteous. We are turning because he is righteous and he loves you and me as a response to his love. Egypt, uh, Israel people had to respond to God's love. He said, I will punish you. He, he went after them through Hosiah. He warned them, warned them, warned them. And then he said, later on, he gave them up. But he still says, if you repent, I will restore you. And then you find that the greatest bridegroom gave his life for the church. Hosea modeled Jesus. As he went after his bride, searching for her, and even paying the price to get her out from that brothel, Jesus came down into this world. He shed his blood to bring us out from the bondage so that we can enjoy his fellowship. 
He's saying, you're not my people, but I want to be your God and you will be my people. And never think that we can get away from sin. We have to meet the consequences of what we do if there's no repentance towards God. What is our response to God's word and to grow in intimacy with God? What is our response? Is there a response? God told the people of Israel, my people are perishing because of lack of knowledge. The people, the priests and the prophets are not teaching them. But I wanted to tell you, AG, AG, every Sunday we listen to some wonderful teaching from God's word. And if we are not going to respond to grow in intimacy with God through his word, we will be the losers. We will be the losers. He says, you have forgotten my word, so I will forget your children. That's a fearful thing. It's God's word. People may think, can this be? Yes, it is there. It is there. And it has happened. Thirdly, how do we treat other weak Christians in Christ? Other weak brothers and sisters in Christ. The people who are wayward. We get angry sometimes. We get upset. But then it is important we ask God to give us that love in our hearts. Model the love of Christ to these people. I told you about Billy Graham and Jim Baker. Finally, I wanted to ask you this question. What is their response to his love to serve him? Do you have a desire to serve him? If you read the Bible in the book of Ephesians, he wants everyone, he wants everyone to serve him. He gave us pastors, he gave us apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors and teachers to build the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can do the work of the ministry. We are there to help you and teach you. We are learning and we are teaching you. We will continue to learn and we will teach you. Now it is your heart that should respond to this never-ending love. This love is never ending. And how do you want to respond to this love? Let's close our eyes and look to God.